This is the Retirement Detective Podcast, where we dive into cases with Philip Mock, chartered financial analyst and certified financial planner professional, to solve common retirement and financial planning questions. Get insight into how to solve quandaries that appear on the path to and through retirement, ideas on how to approach savings and investing for retirement, and how to plan for retirement in a tax-efficient manner. Now, here's your host and lead retirement detective, Philip Mock. Hi, everyone. This is Philip Mock, and welcome to the Retirement Detective Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to talk about risk, and specifically risk tolerances, which we'll define what that is and what it means for your investment portfolio or the portfolio that you maybe have managed by an advisor. But Understanding what your tolerance for risk is is a really important part of creating a long-term portfolio for accomplishing your goals, and we'll talk about that in today's episode. If you work with an advisor, you've probably been asked to complete a risk tolerance questionnaire. And if you have not worked with an advisor, Maybe you've taken one at work as part of your 401k implementation process, or maybe you've at least heard of it. But let's start with what that is, because it's sort of going to be the baseline for our discussion today. When we talk about risk from an investing standpoint, we're usually talking about one specific risk, even though when investing, we actually have a multitude of risks that we may be taking on. For instance, if you invest in the stock market, you are taking on risk of volatility, which is the risk that the price of the securities you're investing in goes up or down. You have company-specific risk, potentially. Ideally, you diversify this away, but depending on how you're invested, you may have company-specific risk, which is the risk that something happens to a company uniquely that causes their price to fall uh, and not the rest of the market. So this is a one-off event that happens to that specific company. A great example of this would be the BP oil spill that only happened to BP and only impacted BP. We also take on currency risk sometimes in our portfolios, and the list goes on and on and on. But when we are talking about risk tolerance, we're generally talking about volatility-based risk. So the risk that your portfolio goes up and down. Risk and volatility is usually measured in terms of what's called standard deviation, which is a statistical measure of volatility. To put this in practical terms, rather than try to run you through a master's level statistics course, I'm going to try to put this in very practical terms. A standard deviation is basically a measure that gives you an understanding of the general range with which something moves in terms of its volatility. So to illustrate this, let's use an example. So let's say the average return of an investment is 5% and it has a standard deviation of 10%. One standard deviation usually accounts for about two thirds of the probability matrix. So 
if the average return is 5% and the standard deviation is 10, then on the positive side, you'd have 5 plus 10. And on the negative side, you'd have 5 minus 10. So that gives you a range of negative 5% all the way up to 15%. And that would be your range of returns about two-thirds of the time. So on average, investment A has a 5% return, but in two-thirds of any given time period, you're likely to see those returns be between negative 5 and positive 15. Two standard deviations accounts for about 95% of the probability. So that would mean adding another 10% and a subtracting another 10 on the other side. So now we're saying if you have one standard deviation, it's between negative 5 and 15. Two standard deviations would be between negative 15 and positive 25. So in that case, we would say that there's a 95% probability that the return for this investment would be between between negative 15% and positive 25% in a given year. Three standard deviations accounts for about 99% of the probability, and we'd add another 10. So this would be negative 25 to positive 35. And it's just a way to give you a sense of the volatility. So if two investments have an average return of 5%, but one has a standard deviation of 10%, and the other has a standard deviation of 1%, then you know that the one that has a higher standard deviation has a much higher volatility. It will move up and down much more. Because what that's telling you is that the spread of return possibilities at one standard deviation or about two-thirds of the time, two standard deviations about 95% of the time, and three standard deviations about 99% of the time, all of those spreads are much wider if your standard deviation is 10 versus your standard deviation is 1. When we take a risk tolerance, we're really trying to match the volatility of a portfolio and how much an entire portfolio moves up and down with the characteristics of you, an investor. Now, there are all sorts of different people out there. You have very risky people like um, fighter jet pilots and wildfire firefighters and people that do amazing jobs for our community and our planet, but they're very risky. And be someone that wants to do that job, you have to be tolerant of risk. On the other hand, you have people that are generally pretty risk intolerant or risk averse, and they might have jobs like being a statistician or an accountant or an actuary. Now, I'm an accountant. Not all accountants are like that, I promise, but that's the stigma that we get. Part of what makes a portfolio successful over a really long-term time period is one, it is built to accomplish goals, and two, it's built in concert with the risk tolerance of the investor. And risk has several pieces when we look at your risk tolerance. Um, there's a time element and then an appetite element. So we look at the time element is uh, how much risk do you have the ability to take based on your portfolio size? 
and how much do you need to take based on the size of that portfolio relative to the size and proximity of goals. And then you have the appetite for risk, which is basically how much risk are you willing to handle in your portfolio? So risk appetite, risk need, and risk ability kind of all are lumped together to sort of create this broad term called risk tolerance. And each of those metrics can vary. You might have someone that has a massive portfolio and therefore a pretty high ability to take risk relative to their needs, but they have a really low risk appetite because they're very conservative by nature. Or you might have someone that's young and a very aggressive person by nature, but their portfolio is very small relative to the goals that they have. And so building a risk tolerance is a way to sort of merge these three objectives together. When we're talking about building risk tolerances for clients or for you building one for yourself, uh, sometimes it involves a questionnaire, but often it involves just thinking about what your history has been in terms of investing and what you want to accomplish. For scientific more purpose for more scientific purposes, we can actually put some numbers to a risk tolerance and then compare that to the standard deviation of a portfolio to get a sense of whether or not someone is likely to have a long-term chance of success with this type of portfolio. Now, it's hard to define long-term success, but it's a lot easier to define failure in a portfolio. So failure in a portfolio from a risk perspective would be the investor is pushed to the brink of their limits with risk and they make a drastic decision because they you know, sort of just can't take it anymore. So imagine a really negative period in the markets like um, spring of 2009 after the markets have been in decline going all the way back to fall of 2007 or March of 2020 after markets dropped really precipitously over the prior four weeks. Some investors may have gotten to the point where they said, I can't take this anymore, and they sell out. And the problem with that is, is that nobody is smart enough to time the market. Nobody is smart enough to know when to go into the market after selling out, and no one is smart enough to know when to sell out and avoid all the losses. So if you sell out at a time after the market's been really negative for a while, you're locking in those losses and then you have to build up the strength of or the fortitude to go back into the market at some point. And historically, investors are really bad at that. And therefore, for a long-term portfolio, the, the best plan is to be fully invested at all times. You don't move in and out of the market. You don't move in and out of cash because those are damaging to long-term goals. When we're thinking about risk tolerance for a portfolio, basically want to find the portfolio for an investor that is as much risk as they need to take and is in alignment with their ability to take risk, but does not exceed the amount of risk that they have the ability to take on from an appetite perspective. So in other words, let's say that someone has a risk tolerance that would result in them being comfortable with a portfolio that has a standard deviation of 10% plus or minus. They can handle 
that much movement in their portfolio in a given year. Then we'd want to build a portfolio made up of different asset classes and assets such that in combination, the risk profile of that portfolio does not exceed that number. Now, that's in a perfect world. In reality, we don't actually know what someone's risk tolerance is. You certainly don't know it for yourself in terms of a number like standard deviation. But we do our best to try to approximate it and figure it out. When we put different assets together in a portfolio and different asset classes, the reason we do that is the, the goal is to increase the risk-adjusted returns of, of that portfolio. We do that to sort of try to increase return without increasing risk because as you increase risk, you are running the risk that the investor or you will become uncomfortable with that portfolio at some point. If we were all just searching for the most return, we'd all end up with incredibly risky portfolios that were incredibly volatile, but might have great long-term returns. If we're all incredibly conservative, we end up with sort of cash under the mattress, maybe a low-yielding, steady cash portfolio that makes a few percent per year at most, but never really fluctuates in value. So when we build a portfolio, we're combining different types of assets some that are more aggressive, some that are more moderate, and some that are more conservative in terms of their volatility to try to create a portfolio that maximizes return for someone's given level of risk. And if you don't know what that is for yourself, think about it based on your history. In late 09 and March of 2020, did you sell out of your portfolio or did you just wait and see what happens and stay invested? If you did a wait and see what happens, then I'm not saying that you have a high risk tolerance, but I would say that your portfolio compared to your risk tolerance is probably aligned the right way. If you sold out, I am not saying that you have a low risk tolerance, but what I would suggest is that your portfolio was probably too risky for you. It's really hard, even after knowing someone for a long time, to know what their risk tolerance is because... It changes over time, and studies show that risk tolerances are somewhat dependent on recency bias. In other words, your risk appetite has a lot to do with what happened to you from a risk perspective over the last 12 to 24 months. So in other words, if we gave everyone a risk tolerance questionnaire in April of 2009, right after the market bottomed in the great financial crisis, everyone's risk tolerance would probably be much lower then if you gave the same person that exact same test in summer of 2018, when the bull market somewhat peaked before we went downward going into COVID. While risk tolerance is somewhat nebulous and not fully understood by anybody, it's an important thing to think about. And when you're building your own portfolio or you're working with an advisor to build your portfolio, risk should be part of the thought process. We often focus on return and diversification. Di diversification is a risk mitigation measure, but we should also think about the overall risk of the portfolio and say, do, do we have a portfolio here that will accomplish our goals, but will do so in a way that prevents us from making drastic short-term decisions? A really risky portfolio might help just about everybody accomplish their goals if the returns are very high, but if very few people can actually stomach all that risk and volatility, then it's kind of pointless. 
And studies show that if you withdraw from your portfolio at those really bad times, you almost never go back in at the right time. And you effectively lock in losses that are kind of baked in forever. Um, so it's really important to dial that in and get it done right. In summary, what you need to take from this episode as an action item is to look at your own portfolio and think about it in terms of your history and the actions you've taken in your portfolio and ask yourself, does it all make sense? If you're constantly moving in and out of the market, moving in and out of cash, then that is not a good long-term strategy for accomplishing your goals. And it's not good for, uh, it's not good proof that your portfolio is in alignment with your risk tolerance. If you're a more stable investor and you've managed to keep invested during those really bad times, maybe your portfolio is in greater alignment with your risk tolerance. And then the question is the opposite. Should you be taking more risk? Is your portfolio too conservative? So you want to try to find that happy medium between you don't want to take so much risk that you sell out at the wrong times, but you also want to take as much risk as possible in order to maximize returns given that amount of risk that you're willing to take. When we build portfolios, each of the different elements have different risk profiles. Cash is very low risk. Equity is generally pretty high risk. Fixed income is somewhere in between. And the different asset classes within those, for instance, in equities, we've got large cap, mid cap, small cap, value and growth. In fixed income, you have the different asset classes like corporates, securitized, government, etc. You have different duration profiles, short term, intermediate term, long term, and you've got different credit profiles. So you can have varying levels of risk even within each of those buckets. But the goal is to build a portfolio that complements your needs for growth, for income, and is in complement to your risk profile and the goals that you want to take. A portfolio that doesn't accomplish your goals but happens to beat a benchmark is still a failure in my opinion. That's all for today's episode. Take care. This recording strictly is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of the Retirement Detective Podcast. The Retirement Detective Podcast is not affiliated with any guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. The Retirement Detective Podcast does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The Retirement Detective Podcast shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decisions. This podcast is not a solicitation to purchase or sell securities or a solicitation for advisory services. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services, and nothing in this podcast should be relied upon as rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services. Philip Mock is not a detective or law enforcement officer, 
and any reference to such is for entertainment purposes only.